And I'm Rebecca, and we are Mama Mama Bear Apologetics. We're just two gals talking about life's big questions from a biblical worldview. Because when it comes to the battle of ideas, we need to be able to say, mess with my kids and I will demolish your arguments. You mess, I demolish. Got it? Capiche? (laughs) (laughs) Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. So, Rebecca, we just got done listening to Melissa Kane Travis's talk on motherhood and the life of the mind, I believe, is what she called it. And so uh, tell me what your some of your first impressions are. Um, I agree with everything she said. Um, I think it's a very it's a very encouraging talk. Um, I should I suggest moms to listen to it to get you know, to feel motivated. She's got some great quotes from people in there like C.S. Lewis and William Wilberforce. And I, I, and I, it's interesting. I resonate with her story a lot. I was raised in the church as well. And just, I grew up as a Christian. I mean, I know when I, I was baptized and everything, but there was really never a time that I wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really remember the moment I became a Christian. <laughs> I just remember, you know, making my profession of faith and getting baptized. And um, so I, I relate to that a lot. And I was always known as the Christian. I, I was involved in ballet and I was around a lot of um, people from all over the world. And um, I was the Christian. But she um, really started having challenges to her faith when she went uh, when she went to the workforce. And for me, it was really when I went to school. Um, and when I moved away to Seattle, when I was to study ballet, I started yeah. having questions because I was living with a Mormon family. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, I lived with a Mormon family, wonderful family. But um, I had, you know, that just uh, there were some challenges there. And then I, most of my, I think I was probably the only Christian, professing Christian. Um, in my ballet group. So, um, which for the moms that are from the South, that to them would probably feel almost unheard of for, for moms that are maybe either from the Northeast or probably the West coast, they might be like, yeah, "Yeah, we've experienced that. But from like down in Texas or whatever, we'd Mm. be like, what? And she mentioned a bubble and that's exactly the word I was thinking. I had my little Christian bubble, um, when I was younger. And so it was burst and I wasn't really equipped and um, especially for me, when I went to get my degree in the sciences, that's when I really, I started questioning a lot um, as well. And so it hit me at that point. But yeah, I was definitely in that little Christian bubble. And I knew all the Bible stories and, and such, but I didn't really know anything about, you know, why do I have confidence in Scripture? Yeah. Well, you know, I didn't know anything about biblical criticism. I didn't really even know how to do real Bible study where you look at the different um, genres of literature in the Bible and you approach them differently. And I, I just, I had no clue. So um, I thought it was kind of surprising that she was able to maintain that bubble through college, considering that I'm trying to remember she I I think she got her her bachelor's in biology. I don't think it was biochemistry. Wow. I think it was just biology. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it must have biology been Biology's a... worse. Actually yeah. then um oh, really? you know, my chemistry and my physics um I had most I had that's where my Christian professors were. The biology department is where there was the 
atheist and the more outspoken atheist. Although my, my, my main biochemistry professor who was over the biochemistry department was quite an outspoken British <laughs> atheist, but yeah. he was a sweetheart too. So, but, okay. Um, it was general biology. I'm looking at it. The, um, okay. I'm looking at the, uh, bio that she, yeah. Biology uh, is one of the worst because of, of, of philosophical Darwinism, you know, yeah, yeah. But from Campbell evolution. University, it's like, I don't know Campbell, but I, I have a vague memory of her saying that it was like a small kind of private Christian school. And mm. so maybe she was still somewhat shielded from it. But um, but yeah, so she she went off into the workforce and suddenly she was she just encountered a whole slew of people in the lab that she was working in uh, that had different different beliefs in what she did, uh, what she had. And when so, I worked in a lab as well, I had that. Um, I was working. I had a lot of Indian colleagues. I had a lot of Chinese colleagues. And I had some older Chinese colleagues and then some young students. And actually, it was interesting that the younger Chinese were more open to Christianity. But my older Chinese colleagues, oh, my gosh, they ridiculed it. I mean, they were mm-hmm. atheists. And it was ridic- they ridiculed it. They looked down on it. And then my Indian colleagues were just, oh, yeah, well, that's great. We love Christianity. You know, <laughs> Jesus is great. And, and, and really, I didn't have any, I would say, totally outspoken atheists, but there were definitely a lot of different beliefs. Um, yeah, I guess thinking about with the, the sheer number of gods that are in the Hindu religion, you know, like one more is like, sure, bring them one more. Woohoo. <laughs> We've mm-hmm. got- uh, yeah, and they're creationists. You know, they totally believe God created, but uh, which God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so. and I think it's, I, I don't want to misspeak here. I think their creation story is very different from yes. ours. And yeah. I don't want to say something that's going to sound like a caricature of it because I've got an idea in my head, but I'm, I'm not going to say Well, it and then I think a lot of the ones that come here that are in the sciences and are more educated. So they're a little bit more agnostic about the details. So they kind of do what a lot of American Christians do. Um, They separate their faith and their, their private, they privatize their faith and then they have this public life, you know? And, and I think, I think I've, I found a lot of them do that as well. So something I'd like to do in the future is maybe come up with, and, and I think John had, had this for his, uh, for his world religions class that he used to teach to have like the five big questions. It's like, you know, where do we come from? Where are we going? What's the purpose? Um, I can't, I can't remember what the other, like what's the idea of the good life. And then there was a fifth one. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would love to do interviews with some of the major world religions and see how they would answer that question mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of compare them. So like the, the kind of brief outline that I made when we were listening to Melissa's talk is, it started out kind of with her testimony of where she came from, um, her Christian background, uh, the difficulties that she faced once she got to the workforce, and then some of the, the main points that I thought she made. I thought this one, you and I discussed this a little bit ago, the analogy of missionaries to third world countries and what pre-evangelism, lo- uh, mm-hmm. pre-evangelism looks like. So pre-evangelism to a third world country would be something like helping provide clean water, or medical missions coming to provide, uh, you know, medical medical care. I had a, a small group leader, kind of a spiritual father of John's in mind. He was a dentist, and they would go and they would do dentist work. And so they would bring kind of the, the uh, they would communicate the gospel with these really basic, um, meaning the very basic needs. And so the, the analogy for our first world country, and I like how she said it is, basically bad ideas is Satan's greatest tool. 
And then she quoted the verse that our, our whole mama bear, you know, our, our web page, main page is based on, which is Second uh, Corinthians 10.5, uh, which is, uh, you know, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So just the idea of like Satan's playground is bad ideas. And that's going to be where our pre-evangelism is. In a first world country, I mean, we're still going to have practical needs here too. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the fact that we have homeless and we have poor and we have the, uh, people that are hungry. But if you're looking uh, for kind of more the the affluent um, members of society, bad ideas is probably their version of dirty water. That um, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, yeah. You have to get that water clean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of bad ideas, and some of it. You know, it's it's just cultural baggage, you know, yeah. in a way. But and you mentioned that that we still need. They have emotional needs, and they're still hungry. Even even the educated people, you will find that as you get to know them, you know, they have they have needs. I mean, yeah. Most of these people are living very much the worldly life, um, where there's a lot of just. And it's going to get more so as our culture gets further and further away from Absolutely. Christian values and more toward, you know, what we, we immoral practices. Because um, that's just going to create more more baggage. More and family more breakdown. Damage. Yeah. And, yeah, more family breakdown. So I think uh, emotional problems um, are probably one of those things that kind of transcend economics that you're going to – it might be different kinds mm-hmm. of emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Um but you're still going to have that emotional trauma. And I find also, too, is that, you know, our lives are a lot better in a lot of ways, but we still struggle. We still have disease. We still have illness. We still have death. We still have things that are unfair that happen. And yeah. then we now are connected to the world. So we have this world community where we see all the evil and suffering happening in the world. I find that the problem of suffering is one of the biggest problems that I run into with people. I, you start with the apologetic arguments, but it usually will whittle down at the heart of it is this problem with evil and problem with suffering and and a lot of times it's just this inability they they have been through some sort of suffering themselves and they did not really get the support that they needed they being who um the people that you're ministering to so okay just in general just in general yes people have been through some sort of horrible thing in their life and I, I think our culture no longer really knows how to suffer well. We have a lot of community breakdown. <laughs> and so yeah. it used to be communities would come around you and really love on you and, and hold you up. And I really think that's how God supports people during suffering. He uses us to minister to people. And they didn't have that. And so a lot of times they're still grieving. And um, and you have you, you have to come alongside with the arguments and also you know meeting these emotional wounds. Um, that they have from from suffering and um, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's probably one of the biggest uh, hard things that I think first world we here in the first world to have is we kind of expect things to be easy. Yes, yeah. suffering's like this huge shock yeah. over here of like what <laughs> everything's not hunky dory. What what's going on? And kind of over in the third world country, they're like. It's like that's that's kind of expected, and so mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a betrayal to them mm-hmm. of who God is supposed to be. It's like the good news is 
I don't want to say gooder. That's bad, bad grammar. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like in some ways they can accept it over there because it doesn't feel like a de- betrayal over here. I feel like sometimes people preach the gospel as in like, come to God and, you know, all your pre- depression will be taken away and all your illnesses will be healed and all this and all mm-hmm. that. And your life will be great and things will make sense and your family will be intact. And that's just not the way it works. And, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we kind of expect it to be. So. So I really liked that. She went into that. Then she kind of mentioned, even though she mentioned this briefly, I think it's worth mentioning, um, the limitation to the arguments of, mm. you know, how many times, I know that John and I have gotten this before, but, well, you can't argue anyone into the kingdom. It's like, it it is something that's worth mentioning from the get-go that that you can't argue someone into the kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not exactly what's what we're trying to do here. What we're mm-hmm. trying to do is remove stumbling blocks to the gospel yes. and that's a very very different thing arguing something into someone into the kingdom is not the same thing as removing a stumbling block yeah and i think it's our delivery is is important too when we're arguing are we arguing and and it's so hard because we're still human we're hopelessly human we have our sinful side and when you get into this sort of debate with someone and they're asking all these questions and maybe they have kind of a you know they're they're a little excited you start reflecting their excitement or you know they're they're a little worked up and and you get wanting to win and win an argument and i think that's what people when they say well you can't argue someone into the to the kingdom they think debating and they think this sort of fighting and yeah and we have to be careful that we do not fall into that trap because sometimes people will get um angry and um you know uh worked up when you're in when you're interacting with them so we have to have our delivery has to be one of constantly at the back of our head, loving our neighbor. And she mentioned that. Um, it's yeah. an act of love because the second part of the, the the love, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is love your neighbor. And so that has to be right in there, constantly reminding ourselves, loving our neighbor. How am I loving this, this person? Mm. Um, and beating them over the head with arguments is not necessarily, <laughs> you know, going to help. Even if they're beating you, and that's the thing, you cannot reflect the, the way they treat you, yeah. you we, we just don't have it the same standard that they do. And they can use all kinds of underhanded ways. And, um, and, they, and a lot of times they will. And, and they're not even things. aware of it, I think. Most of the time yeah, they're actually, wonderful right. people and they're just not even aware that they're using these underhanded tactics. But we cannot do that ourselves. And I, I'm afraid exactly. I've done that before. <laughs> and I've probably already all fallen into that but i want to put this into kids language real quick just because i was talking with my cousin this last week um and i actually want to do a whole podcast on this only my problem is i'm not 100 percent sure what to say because it addresses basically one of the biggest areas of weakness in my life Mm. but um her her son i call him my nephew i've got a bunch of nephews and nieces that you know (laughs) are i consider you know my nephews and nieces but he just found out that his uh one of his friends isn't a christian so, like, in adult language, I guess the arguing someone into the kingdom might be, you know, looking at, some like, the philosophical arguments or might be looking at the evidences for the resurrection. But not arguing someone into the kingdom um, in a child's language is, I, I think that children are notorious, and I, I know that, um, because it's like a lot of times they don't know any better, and I know that I was guilty of this, is basically bringing up hell as, like, your... <laughs> The thing of oh like, my goodness! Well, I did too. <laughs> You're going to hell, and like that's what they say. And like I, I think my cousin, because I when she came to me with this question of like, you know, how does how does um, Morgan share his faith? I was like, well, 
let's first and foremost not immediately pronounce everybody going to hell. And she just started laughing because she's like, oh, my gosh, I totally did that. And we have some other cousins of ours that that aren't uh, in the Christian faith. And she mentioned how one of those cousins had told her later in life that she pretty much did that to her as a kid. (laughs) And that's kind of the kids. That's like, well, you, you want to believe this. So you don't go to hell. So that's what I did too, as well. And yeah, I, if you're going to, if you're going to bring it up, just just talk about being separated from, from God for eternity and, and, just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of wanted to, just for the, the parents out there, put that into kid kid language for, you know, what the limits to the arguments are. And it's kind of like what you said, that love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was talking to my cousin and to, and to my nephew just about, like, what does this look like, like to love him? And, you know, mm-hmm. how can you be the same friend to him before as you were, or now as you were before? Because he, it was so beautiful. Oh, my gosh, Rebecca, it was so Aww. adorable. He was so, he was like choked up and like crying and like oh my, oh my, you know what if he rejects this and i don't want to be separated him for him for life. it was so cute and he just he was just a big hot mess but it was and my cousin was like wow this is really convicting me of how i don't you know take you know the the non-salvation of some of my friends as seriously as what he's taking them so you know right there kind of like he's I burdened think, yeah yeah he is and you're starting to see some of these um spiritual gifts in him early on and kind of like what melissa travis said you know from the mouths of our children Uh (laughs) we're i mean we can be uh convicted so okay so i'll get back to like the little um outline that i had the testimony the difficulty she faced the analogy of missions to third world countries and what does that look like what does pre-evangelism look like to our first world country the limits to arguments and then this one i think was one of the big ones that this called to um, the life of the mind is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Mm-hmm. That we are all theologians and we are all apologists. It just depends on where our competi- competencies are at. Yeah, yeah. Um, she she had a couple quotes from, well, she had one quote from C.S. Lewis, and, and then I, I have another one of my favorite ones. But she said, you know, we need to be able to, and this is something that just was right along what we've talked about several times, we need to be able to communicate the core of our faith. And we, you know, as a Nicene Creed core, the Apostles' Creed, what's the core? Um, And we we talked about these are the, this is the core, the center. These are the non-negotiables. So when you are dealing with someone who has a lot of questions and, um, you know, you can keep returning back to these cores, especially if you cannot answer some of the other ones. Because, you know, I, I just had a friend bringing up some of the stuff in the Old Testament that um, where God commands just this annihilation of different people groups. And, yeah. and now the way the atheists talk, you think that that's all the Old Testament is, it's just constant <laughs> annihilation. No, but these are actually just yeah. passages um, but still, they are troublesome, and I don't They're understand passages. them. They're difficult, and so I might not have the answer for them, but I said that does not affect whether or not Jesus rose from the grave and, and my my confidence in the resurrection. And um, so so we, we have to kind of be able to communicate that core for people because I think a lot of people don't understand what the core issues are. And my friend that was bringing these issues up with me it was good for me to come back to that core and tell her, I don't know. I haven't worked all, all the questions out. I've heard people that have different ways to work out those things. 
But I still, that does not affect this core of my yeah. faith here and my confidence in the goodness of God. So um, I don't think she had heard that before. And so we need to be able to do that. She said, yeah. um, here, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity. Um, he writes, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. But fortunately, <laughs> but fortunately, it works the other way around. Anyone who is honestly trying to be a Christian will soon find his intelligence being sharpened. One of the reasons why it needs no special education to be a Christian is that Christianity is an education itself. Ooh, that is, I like that. Yeah. That is why an uneducated believer like John Bunyan was able to write a book, The Pilgrim's Progress, that has astonished the whole world. Mm. And that is from his book, Mere Christianity. And I highly, highly recommend reading that book. I do too. In fact, I think I have that listed in our frequently asked questions of I'm a I'm a beginner. Where do I get started? And I, I list that one because that was one of my first books that I did when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a Christian school for a couple of years. And like I, I always say that two of the, you know, besides my parents, the two greatest influences on my, my early Christian mind were my pastor and C.S. Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I love that. I, I love that. And I think that especially goes out to moms because I think Melissa pointed out the fact that some women kind of hear about all this apologetics and theology and they say that just goes right over my head. I think I need to leave that to the to the professionals and I think not only is Christianity an education of itself, I think having children is an education unto itself because <laughs> yeah. I think having children presents you with the questions that you're like, "Oh, I never thought about that." Kind of like mm-hmm. when she was talking about her son came to her and, and was like, how do we know God exists? How do we know it's not all made up? Mm-hmm. Like, if, yeah. if your children haven't said that to you yet, consi- you know, either I, I was about to say consider yourselves lucky, but no, I would say don't consider yourselves lucky because there's another um, uh, really great uh, article by Natasha Crane that talks about how do you know if your children are borrowing their faith. And I know Melissa talked about this as well. How do you know if they're borrowing their faith from from somewhere else, you know, from you, from their grandparents, whatever? And uh, Natasha answers it as they don't ask questions. Yeah. That's how you know they're borrowing it. So do not consider yourself lucky <laughs> if your kids have never yeah. asked you that. Start to be like, hmm, why haven't they asked me that? And maybe consider asking them that. See what they yeah, say. and Natasha, I think we've talked about this before. She had a great thing about like ha- ha- once a week asking your children, okay, so do you have any questions about God and, and yeah. about Christianity and about your faith? Think about what's your biggest question and, and regularly ask them that. And if you can't answer it, just say, okay, well, I don't really know how to answer that, but let's look at the answer and you look together. That's right. And Or that's that's your night where it's pizza night. They get pizza. You do your study on whatever question it was that they had. And that is, <laughs> you know, time and money well spent. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like John and I do that with our, with our little nieces and nephews. We call it Stump Uncle John just because that flows better than Stump Uncle John and Aunt Hillary. But also because John's a brilliant guy and then I kind of let him speak first and then I translate into kids speak um, <laughs> and that's kind of how we're good a good pair yeah. but we're we're doing you know we don't have children to do this too so we're taking the children that are in our sphere of influence and so all the women out there that maybe don't have their own children this is a way that you can still be spiritual mm-hmm. parents this is a way that God has still called you to be a spiritual mom mm-hmm. um so, okay, next in the little uh, summary was, um, you know, this is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. We're all apologists and theologians. It just depends on our competencies. 
flowing right from that, she says, we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And I think a lot of times Christians can be very content to just know what they mm. believe. But mm-hmm. the idea of why they believe it is like you'll just almost get a blank stare. And then a lot of times it depends on how hardened the person is and they're, you know, not wanting to dive into it. That's when you'll get the, you know, well, if we knew everything, we wouldn't need faith or, you know, God's pleased by blind faith or all sorts of different excuses. But, mm-hmm. you know, and on on a good day, you'll ask them and they'll say, huh, well, I guess I just grew up believing that. And maybe you can be kind of a little pebble in the shoe mm-hmm. um, to help uh, prompt them to to start studying that. Because I think, she, I, I'm not sure what um, study she was looking at. I know we're going to go into the Barna study uh, in upcoming weeks about the top six reasons why kids uh, leave the church. But she came up with the top two uh, major reasons of fear of asking the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And then when the hard questions were asked, they were either answered poorly or they were dismissed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that's one, and that's going to be addressed in the, the top six reasons um, that the church is hostile to doubt. But uh, just the idea of answering poorly, one of the things, like I got, we got the name Stump, Stump Uncle John from a church that we went to where they asked John to be involved in something called Stump the, uh, Stump the Pastor. And apparently John's done this before with other churches called Stump the Chump, but they called it Stump the Pastor, yeah. even though John wasn't a pastor there. But I remember just squirming in my seat, and they probably were, like, really annoyed at me because I, I was probably so visibly shaken by some of the answers that the pastor was giving mm-hmm. to some of these kids' answers that just kept appealing to, well... It's the mystery of God. We can't understand why God would do something. And I'm sitting there like raising my hand going, no, 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 no. There's there's some good reasons mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the answers, I was like, oh, my goodness. If I were a youth and this were the answer that I was getting, I would instantly conclude that there were no good answers. Mm-hmm. And that would be the beginning of me walking away from the faith. And I think I was so visibly shaken because I knew that that would be my response. So I could almost guarantee there was something, someone in that room that this was the day that they started walking away from Christianity. And that, of course, led me very visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. Almost obnoxiously. So. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. We have to, we have to be prepared and yes, there is room for mystery. Of course, we're talking about there is a place an for mystery, infinite in being, and we're finite. Yeah, but yeah. but but you you don't use that as a way not to to give the actual arguments. And and I I can see that being maybe perhaps used in when you're dealing with a problem of evil, because ultimately why. When you're dealing with the problem of evil, yes, you can speak in general sense. Why, you know, mm-hmm. soul building, um, free will beings, all, all that. But w- most of the time, people can start bringing up individual cases of suffering. Why did God yeah. allow this? Well, we don't know. And God doesn't tell us. God did not tell Job. And all we know is that God did, entered our suffering on yeah. on the cross. 
and and the rest we have to we have to trust him with that. So that's kind of the area where where, where you don't say mystery. You say I'm. We're just not not omniscient. <laughs> He's omniscient. Yeah. And, and there's something to you know accepting the fact that we're not omniscient. We don't. We can't even, get everything. We can't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think even the problem of evil. This this was this was a problem for me even up until I believe it was last summer. It feels like forever ago, but I think it was just last summer. Um, when I sat in, I was I was up at Biola for the uh, oh. for the week long thing, and I uh, decided to sit in on uh, Clay, Clay Jones. Jones's Problem of Evil talk. Yeah, and it has not been a problem for me ever since then. Just yeah. it, and it does take. I think that this is we've talked about this before that there is a certain amount of creativity and imagination. Yeah, that it takes in Christianity of like, can I use my imagination to think of a, a way that this could be? Mm-hmm. A reason why God's allowing this. And to me, that's been kind of my secret for joy and suffering is imagining the different ways that God could be using this. And yeah. so there can be good reasons for that. We're never going to know if we're correct or not, but there's hypothetical reasons where that, that could be the case. Now, and we other- have good evidence for God's goodness. So yeah. there's arguments for God's goodness and God being the good, but God being goodness itself. And that there are arguments for that, 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 that yeah. you can start from philosophy with that. Um, and, and you can, then you can also say, you can bring up the Bible, you know, depending on what audience you're dealing with, but with the children in church, you can bring up, well, I mean, he was willing to die on the cross for our sins. I think that's ultimate goodness, ultimate love, but we have to rest in that. But yes, there are arguments and the arguments do have the limits. But that doesn't mean that's not an excuse not to know the arguments. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And especially, yeah, like she said, the children asking these questions and not getting good answers or even worse, being dismissed. Oh, <laughs> that's God, the that, worst. I'm pretty sure. I mean, John's talked about that before. It's kind of the whole, you know, doubt makes baby Jesus cry. Good Christian, good little Christian boys and girls don't ask questions like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the most damaging things that we can do because that that's basically forming a spiritual abscess where you have like this tiny little infection, but we're just going to cover it up. And yeah. we're going to, you know, cover it up to where it doesn't get any air. So basically, it's just going to keep growing until it's this huge problem. And at that point, we say, where did this come from? It's like, it was building up for a while. Um, you're about to say something. Oh, I, I was just going to say, um, I, I loved how she brought up the fact that um, she brought motherhood into it at the end of yes. the talk. And that children... At moms are around the children the most. They get the most questions, and we've we've talked about this before. Yeah, um, we are really. It, it was a quote from John Wesley, right? That it was his mother. Yes, that, I love that. Susanna I've, Wesley, that that couple that yeah. I told you about that that were like our spiritual parents. I remember uh, it was rocking Sharon. Sharon would always talk about because she studied Susanna Wesley oh, and just yeah. how. Yeah, like John Wesley said that basically he learned more from his mother than he did all the theologians in England. But one of my favorite stories about Susanna Wesley is that she made time for alone time with God. Mm -hmm. And when you had a house that they had like a gazillion kids, they had like seven kids or something, nine kids. I can't remember how many there were, but there was a lot of kids. (laughs) So if there was a woman who understood not having any privacy and not having any alone time, it would be Susanna Wesley. And so what she did is she had an apron on. And when she had just reached her limit and she was done, she would throw that apron over her head 
to where it was blocking her sight from her kids. <laughs> and her kids knew you do Perfect. not mess with mom when the apron's over her head because that is when she's basically in communion with God. She is in prayer. You do not mess with that. And that's how she kind of... I don't feel so bad about going and hiding in my closet. <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> Nor should you. I, hey, just 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 say that's your war room. Oh my goodness! I go in there and I'm just like, oh, it's so quiet in here. My got some <laughs> nice plush carpet on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So for Susanna Wesley, it was her apron. That's great. I love that. Yeah, and you know that they had such busy. We think our lives are busy. They were making their own candles and they didn't have <laughs> microwaves and <laughs> i mean yeah. they had they did not have all the conveniences that we do there was no easy mac and cheese back then no they couldn't order pizza um nope. yeah so i i can't imagine yeah so that that she still found time for that that was that's very encouraging yes the hand that rocks the cradle um i liked also what she said about you know leaving in our wake this whole army mm. of theologians and apologists and yeah. i think i i love the the idea of that because we know our culture is changing dramatically and um these children are going to really need to be ready and i think most yeah. a lot of parents are waking up to this and as they look at the culture um and so they need to be strong that we need to really strengthen these kids and part of that is really teaching them how to approach their faith um using their mind um yeah so good stuff absolutely agree yeah it was really good stuff um do you want to um share you sent me a couple of different quotes while we were listening to that are them so let me see the ones that you sent me you sent me the the one by C.S. Lewis that she had given, uh, mm-hmm. you, you already quoted the one, the other C.S. Lewis one about God is no fonder of intellectual slackers, which I love. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to read the William Wilberforce uh, um, one that you sent in the Chesterton one? Either of those you think yeah. are pertinent to the conversation? Um, I think I, I just will say that William Wilberforce, she, she mentions him, um, and I immediately thought about his, uh, he wrote a, I, I guess it's an essay or, or a short book on the state Treatise of or something. Yeah, the the, the the state of Christianity in England at the time of um, the late 1700s, and he was fighting slavery, and he was having the whole the same problem where there was this sort of a culture cultural Christianity, but the people really didn't know what Christ, the gospel was. Yeah. So um, he was running into the same problems with these just very uneducated Christians. And they, and, or just complacent, apathetic. Apathetic, Christians. complacent, and uneducated. And then they were totally supporting things like slavery. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they didn't see some of, they didn't see the evil in it. Um, Chesterton, yeah. she mentioned reason and faith, and I immediately thought of um, a quote, um, he says, it's idle to talk always of the alternative of reason and faith. Reason is a matter of faith. It's an act of faith to assert that our thoughts have any relation to reality at all. Preach. <laughs> I love it. And, and that's basically the whole idea that, you know, we all, we exercise some amount of faith. Now, it's not without evidence. So, yeah. and that's one thing we need to say. Yes, we have faith in, in God and in Christ. We have not seen him, but it's not that we don't have evidence. Um, yeah. and so this, this whole, and he's, he was writing in 1908. And so, they were so all, he was having that problem. He was, oh, you read, have... you read him and you think, was he dealing with, uh, 
uh, Richard Dawkins? <laughs> Maybe Richard Dawkins' <laughs> grandfather? <laughs> Must have been. Because it's just the same, same stuff. And, I, and yeah. then the, the, the final thing, that prayer from Aquinas, that was oh, you sent that to God, me. That I was love really that. good. Yeah. In fact, I think I'll read that as our as our closing statement here, just because uh, she gave a she gave some of it, some of it. Uh, I'll just read the whole thing, just because I think the whole thing is beautiful, and just picturing Thomas Aquinas, like before he sat down to study. I mean, yeah. it makes me want to print this out every time before I study and pray it as well, because I mean, it's it's really good words. So beautiful. This was the prayer of Thomas Aquinas, a prayer before studying. So it makes all our prayers seem so sophomore, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arranged them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised above all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from the soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin mm. and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants, refine my speech, and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence of speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. Mm. <laughs> I and I that. pray that over all the mama bears as we seek to, to learn so that we can help our children um, deal with these questions that are coming. I, I just pray that mm. over, over all our mama bears out there. Yes, we can do this with, by God's grace. <laughs> Absolutely. It's hard, you know. Melissa said it was hard, and it is, but we can. We're, and we're all in this together. Yeah, we are. So. Okay, well, I think that'll wrap up for tonight. So, uh, Mama Bear's out. Mama Bear's out. <laughs> <laughs> This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. Have you been stumped by your kids already? Or maybe you have a nagging question of your own that you think would make a good podcast. Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we will do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together.